Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Father, um, thank you for gathering us this morning. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you cause the sun to rise. You cause us to breathe. You cause us, um, you feed us. You give us what we need. You give us community. You give us shelter. You give us yourself. You give us um, everything that we need plus more because we are your children and you are so good. Your kindness and faithfulness and steadfast love to us is unchanging and it knows no end and it is abundant. And so, Lord, this morning as we hear, uh, you, as you ask us really to um, to really take stock and to uh, think about our um, position and in comparison with you and our posture toward you and uh, our posture toward the life that you've given us and called us to live. Lord, uh, I pray that you give us great mercy. Lord, would you um, convict our hearts and reveal sin not to shame us, but to save us um, Lord, would you bring us to give us the gift of repentance so that we would be free of the stuff that is um, keeping us from you and keeping us from life? And Lord, would you remind us of, of how you love us and how full of grace and mercy and gentleness and kindness you are and how patient you are? Uh, because that is, that is true. And you, uh, we are so loved, Lord. So we come, uh, Lord, help us open our hands and our hearts. Um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so our, our sermon series, we're, we're still in the series, but kind of a little, little detour of um, this Palm Sunday and Easter next week. And, uh, but still similarly to what we've been doing, this ser- series is called Be Curious. And it's this idea of um, heard a lot, we got a lot of baggage maybe depending on who we are and where we come from about who Jesus is. A lot of answers to that question, what we think he's like, what we think his voice sounds like, what, do you think, what we think he wants from us. Um, and, and we just wanna go again to the source and to say, Lord, would you show us who you are? Would you teach us what you're like? Would you um, help us to see you for who you really are? And um, as we do that, we've been looking at individual people and their first encounters with Jesus and how he has across the board pretty much surprised everybody. 
Um, he has, uh, people have come in expecting him to respond one way, expecting him to focus on one thing, only to be very surprised by um, what he really cares about and what he's really like. And so in this passage, um, it's, it's more so that we are thinking about the crowd, this crowd of people who have gathered um, to meet him on the road. And so if you want to think about it as, we're, we're thinking about nameless individual people who are in this crowd. Um, and we're going we're gonna to unpack it here and explain kind of what's going on. But um, it's this idea that these people are discovering what, what we are also discovering is that Jesus cares more about us than about our opinions of him. That he cares more about loving us and giving us what we need than uh, what we have to say about him or what we think about him or our, our feelings or emotional response to him. Uh, because he is, uh, he is good. And so this is Passover week. Um, all of the Jews descend on Jerusalem during Passover week to celebrate the biggest of the three like major festivals that are celebrated every year, no matter where you lived. If you were a Jew, you would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the week of the Passover. And so that's what's happening now. So there's like over a million people in Jerusalem. Um, and what's being celebrated is the birth of a nation. It's the birth of God's people. What's being celebrated is uh, God's people were brought into slavery in Egypt and the Lord supernaturally rescues them out of slavery. He destroys the Egyptian army. He destroys the firstborn of the Egyptians. He miraculously saves his people and sends them out and is taking them to the promised land. And so that's what's being celebrated um, in this, this week of Passover. And so, um, but now you think about this. Think about the fact that you are coming, and some of these people are coming from very far away. So this is a hard trip. This is not an easy journey. Um, it's, it's inconvenient. And these people are coming to celebrate the salvation when now they are experiencing this oppressive Roman rule. So think about that. Think about um, whether you can identify with that as you, maybe if you were someone who was following Jesus. Um, celebrating and singing and talking about and reading about his salvation and his goodness and then thinking about specific circumstances in your life where you're like, okay, and that's, that's not what I'm experiencing right now. Um, and, and these people uh, would know very well what that felt like. And so here uh, in this very clear, straightforward passage um, that's easy for us to understand, uh, we start with this episode with the, the baby donkey. Um, it's really strange that when they, Jesus and his disciples are getting ready to go into Jerusalem and he gives them a lot of uh, maybe strange sounding detail. Um, I want you to go into this village and you're gonna go to this place and you're gonna find a baby donkey that nobody has ever sat on before. And I want you to take this baby donkey. And if someone tries to stop you and is like, why are you stealing this baby donkey? You tell them that the Lord needs it and they're gonna let you go. Think about being one of his disciples in that moment. Like what is happening? Like we read this and it's just so easy to read through this and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, like he did that. That's part of the story. But like to be living this and you're like, what is happening right now? Like these two disciples that he sends are going into this village looking for a baby donkey and they're accused of stealing it. And they're like, no, no, we're not stealing it. The Lord needs it. He'll bring it back. I'm like, okay, cool. Take it. Um, but what's happening is Jesus is setting up the fulfillment of this prophecy from Zechariah chapter nine. 
so hundreds and hundreds of years before this moment, um, a prophet spoke this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's, that's like the people of God. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. Again, just a lot of focus on this being a baby donkey. Um, and so we're going to come back to this. But we, we have this whole scenario. It, it all works out the way that Jesus says it will. And then we have in, in the next few verses this victory parade, basically. We have um, the disciples get this baby donkey. They bring it back to Jesus. They throw their coats over it. Uh, they would throw their coats on the ground. And something you got to know about what's happening right now is the day before this in Bethany, Jesus was with a family of siblings that he loved very deeply, um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so the day before this entry into the city of Jerusalem, uh, many, many people watched Jesus call a very dead man out of the grave and he came back to life. So if there were any doubts at this moment from the people who are hearing all these talks and whispers and rumors of this man, Jesus, and this guy's amazing. He teaches like someone with authority. He talks about God like he knows him as a personal friend. And listen to what he's doing in these people's lives. There's blind people and now they can see. There's deaf people and now they can hear. There's mute people. There's people who are possessed by demons and now they're free from demonic oppression. And if we had any doubts at this point, if Jesus is... The, peop, the, the man that people thought he was and said, I think this might be the chosen one. I think this might be the one that God said was coming, who was going to rule, who was going to sit on his father David's throne and who his kingdom will have no end. I think this is him. And if we had any doubt, a lot of that doubt got erased when, when he is able to call a dead man out of the grave and he came back to life. And so these people are at a fever pitch. They're in an absolute fever pitch because they are so tired of living under this oppressive government. They think they've read all these, um, all these prophecies about what God is going to do when the chosen one comes, about how he is going to rule everything and how he's going to crush his enemies and how he's going to do all this stuff. And they're like, this is now. This is happening now. And so they are running ahead and telling people in Jerusalem and people in Jerusalem are running back to meet up with the like victory train. And then the people from Bethany are like these like ultimate hype men that are just screaming this song, this Psalm 118, which is a Passover psalm. And people are just yelling this psalm in the streets um, because it says, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna means um, save us. Save us, I pray, is what that means. So these people were yelling like, Lord, save us. This is the one who is coming to save us. This is the kingdom of David. This is, this is the descendant of David whose rule will know no end. He is coming right now to claim his throne. And all of God's enemies are on notice because he is about to just wreck shop and he's about to restore peace and he's about to restore all good things to his people. And so they assume uh, that they know what Jesus is here to do. And they are kind of right, but um, also very wrong. And we have this last verse that we include, which is, is kind of this, um, you know, kind of sounds strange, but Jesus, it just says that he, he 
you know, all the people are yelling Hosanna. They're laying down palm branches. And, and the reason people are like sawing off palm branches and throwing them on the ground and waving them is because that is a, a royal, that's a, like a royal sign. I mean, that is, um, you do that for a victory parade or a coronation of a king. And so people are recognizing this is the king and he is now victorious. And so they are ripping off palm branches and throwing them in the streets. And then it says that Jesus just kind of made his way through this victory procession and he went right into the temple. Why does he go right to the temple? Think about this. Um, Psalm 27.4 says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. So when God set up this temple, this was like during this time uh, of his story and what he is doing, the temple is the place on earth. It is the epicenter of where God meets man. And what God has made man for is worship and love and loving him with everything that they have. Why? Because God loves them with everything that he has. And it's this beautiful union. It is this beautiful union between God and man that was wrecked by sin, but God has made a way. Um, God has made a way for this to, to happen again. And these people don't even know the half of what's coming but it's, it's this idea that like when people are really, really know who God is and really know who they are, um, that is what they want more than anything. And the same is true of us. When I am totally sober and in my right mind, what I want more than anything, the one thing that I want is the one thing that I was made for, to be with God and just gaze upon him, to just know him and experience him and be with him. Not even to be doing something for him, but just to enjoy the communion that we have together. To just enjoy being in his presence and he enjoying me being in his presence. And we just talk and we just enjoy being together. That is what we were made for. And so Jesus, you know, from his, his perspective, he's, he's saying, like, I'm coming into the Holy of Holies. I'm coming into this place um, the temple, which is where, why all of this matters. All the things that we're fighting for, all the things we're talking about, all the things that, that God is giving you in his word to draw you in, this is what matters. And what, um, we're gonna just skip ahead, it tells us in the next uh, section here, but it says that Jesus went into the temple and then he left um, because it was late. So Jesus comes in and he sees something and then he leaves. And what did he see? He found, um, well, it's, it's best depicted in this picture that he gives us in the, this following passages. Um, if you've ever read this passage, it's really confusing. Uh, but it's this story of the fig tree. If you remember this, Jesus um, sees a fig tree in leaf. It means it looks like it's, it's time for the figs to be on the tree and he's hungry. And so he sees this beautiful, healthy looking tree and he moves toward it to go grab a fig and eat it. And when he gets there, there's no figs on the tree. It's just leaves. There's no fruit. The, the very thing it was made for is not there. And so he curses it and says, may no one ever eat from you again. Um, 
And that is a picture of what we witness in this victory procession and visit to the temple is when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he's seeing the leaves on the fig tree. This looks like a really healthy tree. The people are screaming like, Lord, save us. We love you, Lord. Um, You are everything to us. And then he gets into the temple and he finds nothing. if, If you've ever read ahead, you know what he found. He found a bunch of people using this as an opportunity to make money. He found a bunch of people trying to, as quickly and painlessly as possible, make the sacrifices that God demands so that they can get God off of their back. He found a lot of people who were talking a lot about God and wanted really nothing to do with God. And so so the question, um, at this point, I just want to pause And in our passage, if we're thinking about these individuals that are holding the palm branches and screaming their brains out, they are about to be severely disappointed. They're yelling and screaming, we love you, God. We worship you. Everything we have is yours. You are awesome. You are the king. You are everything. And then what's about to happen is Jesus is not going to do what they want him to do. And guess what they're not saying anymore? They're not waving the palm branches anymore. They're not yelling about how awesome God is. They're yelling, crucify that guy. So the question that we have to stop and ask ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit is if Jesus is my king, Is he allowed to disappoint me? Because it's really easy to live like this now. It's really easy to come here and go through the motions and be really excited about God when we're talking about him freeing us from things and giving us what we need. But then inevitably, like I I mentioned with the new members, it's going to happen with me and with each of you. If we get close enough to each other, we're going to disappoint each other. And guess what? If you get close enough to God, he is going to disappoint you. Is he allowed to do that? Is there a place in you for him to do that and him to still be your king that you're really excited about? Or does that change everything? And Psalm, Psalm 27, 4, that verse we read, uh, one thing I've asked that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I may just be with God all the days of my life and just gaze upon his beauty and just talk with him. Is that the cry of our hearts? There's a lot of times in my life where that's not. And thank God he draws my attention to that, to, to bring me to repentance, to say, Like, I'm believing a lie. I'm living for something other than you. And right now, you are not my king because I'm king. I'm the one who's deciding that I will worship you when I'm happy with you, and I will not worship you when I'm not happy with you. Jesus came to save us from that very thing. He came to save us from the reality that Psalm 27.4 is not the cry of our hearts. 
And guess what? We can't make it the cry of our hearts apart from his supernatural power. He has to come and do this. Um, He came to save us from the enemy that's not out there, but the enemy that's in here. Because what's in here is keeping us, is killing us, and it's keeping us from the very thing that we were made for. Um, Think about what the people were yelling, Hosanna in the highest. Save us, we pray, in the highest, to the highest degree. And he's saying, that's what I've come to do. Saving you from the Romans is not Hosanna in the highest. It's just Hosanna. Saving you from the sin that is destroying you is Hosanna in the highest. Bringing you back to a place where you are able to want and experience that kind of union with God that's talked about in Psalm 27.4. That's Hosanna in the highest. And if we read on in this prophecy from Zechariah 9 that talks about the baby donkey, um, it says, behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he. He is humble. (laughs) And this humble king has come to do what no one would ever expect, to die in the place of his sinful, rebellious people. And it says, he shall speak peace to the nations. Guess what? That should have been a clue as to what he was going to do. I mean, I don't fault the people for not seeing that because I would, none of us would be able to see that. But he said it plainly. But no one could, just no one could believe that that's what he would do. He came to speak peace to all the nations. He's not going to destroy a particular nation. He's like, no, no, no. I came to set all the nations free. This isn't about Roman rule. This is about sin's rule. This is about the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's who I came to do business with. That's who I came to set you free from. And it says, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. I have come to spill my blood so that you can be free. And in Psalm 118, this Passover psalm, This is another verse from that psalm. It says this, this, as in this man who is riding a baby donkey into your midst, Jerusalem, this is the gate of the Lord and the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. This Jesus who is riding in looking like a fool on a baby donkey is about to spill his blood and be the gate for you and I and all of these people who would have ears to hear to enter into God's presence again because we are now gonna be covered in the blood of Jesus. We are gonna be righteous because he is righteous, not because of us, not because anything that we've done or could do, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And now you, Jesus, have become our righteousness. You have become our salvation. Who saw that coming? Nobody. And so, uh, like I said, we're going to come back to the baby donkey. Um, Did you hear all of the, the details that he knew about that donkey? So even though nobody knew what was coming, nobody saw how he was going to disappoint all these people, um, you and I, we have no idea what's coming, and we have no idea how Jesus is going to lead us through it. We have no idea what he's going to do with our circumstances. We do know that sometimes he's going to disappoint us. That's guaranteed. But we can take heart when we think about the baby donkey because he was working it all out in deep, deep detail that we cannot understand. So now, because of what he has done and who he is and who we are in him, 
we can yell Hosanna. We can yell save us in confidence because he already has. He has saved us from our greatest enemies of of sin and, and the devil and death. And we can also yell Hosanna in faith and humble submission. Lord, I am not Lord. You are. I really hate what's, what I'm experiencing right now. But I don't know what's best for me. You do. Please take this away. And I'm living like this. You are king. I'm not. You are all-knowing and all-wise. I'm not. You are good and righteous. I'm not. So instead of a cry and a demand to be saved the way that we want to be saved, we're free now to, to, to say save us as a cry and as a, a humble plea of submission to our Lord who loves us. I mean, I think about a, an easy place to go with this for me is um, in my mid-20s, like the two things I wanted more than anything was to be married and to find a career that I was really excited about. And like at that point, 0% of either of those things was happening. And I remember just, just crying out to the Lord all the time about those two things. And long story short, um, he was basically doing this with me. And he's done it a thousand times since. But that is like one of the biggest places I could see that. And he's basically saying, Matt, maybe those things are in your future. Maybe I'm going to give you a career path that you really love and feel successful in. Uh, maybe you're going to get married. But guess what? the love that you have for those two things and the way that you think those two things are going to lead you to life is killing you. I am not going to leave you in that place where I'm just going to answer those prayers and leave you thinking that that is what's going to give you life because it is not. I am sometimes, you know what he does? He makes us angry so that we wake up and we get honest about what we want and what we don't have and what we're angry about and what we wish that he had done so that guess what? We're bringing our whole selves to him. And he's like, this is it. This is what you were made for. So as we follow Jesus, um, now he's inviting us to do the same thing in our relationships with other people. So as we're following him into the lives of other people, um, are you willing to disappoint other people for their good? As Jesus did for you? Paul says this in Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you, us, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Um, so it makes me ask the question, do I love people or do I love the fact that people love me? And that's gonna change how I interact with them and the things I can and can't say to them. Yeah, if you haven't experienced yet, Jesus is, is going to disappoint you. And um, where, where will we go when he does? And uh, I think the place to go is, is 1 Peter 4.19. Peter says this uh, as, a, as a man who was greatly disappointed by Jesus. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good because he is faithful, he does love us, and, um, and he knows. And so um, for our prayer um, to close out this sermon, um, we're gonna do something a little different. Um, 
we are going to pray um, Psalm 22, which is uh, a Psalm of David, um, but it's also a Psalm of Jesus. Um, that like when, when David was praying this prayer, he was also prophesying. And this was um, what Jesus is essentially praying when he was on the cross. And so there's a couple ways to, to read and pray this prayer. We can pray it from our perspective, but today I want us to think about praying it um, hearing this from Jesus' perspective. And we're going to hear about how the Lord uh, kind of disappointed him and then led him to this beautiful place. And that's what he's doing with us too. Um, and what the way I want us to read this, to read it is to pray it because it's a prayer. But we've got 12 um, different cards here uh, that are just sequential uh, Psalm 22. And what I would love is for 12 people to come up and just as we pray this, pray this for us. Um, and so you'll just come up and if you're first in line, you'll just take the first card and read it in the microphone um, and then take the card with you back to your seat so that it keeps it from getting confusing and the next person can grab the next card. And actually what I would love is for um, our leaders to not be the ones that come up here because I want to just reinforce in a tangible way to all of us that this is the body of Christ. That it's not a few people up here who are tap dancing and making things happen, but all of us are following Jesus together. We are all gifts to each other. And so um, when you're ready, just 12 people jump up here and, and pray this for us. Psalm 22, one through two. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 22, three through five. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. Psalm 22, six through eight. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Psalm 22, 9 through 11. Yet you, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Psalm, Psalm 22, 14 through 15. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a, like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. 
Psalm 22, 16 through 18. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalms 22, 19-21. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you may help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Thank you. Mark 11, 1 through, oh, sorry. Psalm 22, 22 through 24. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in all of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he is not despised or abort, aborted the affliction of the afflicted, but he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. <clears throat> my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Amen. <laughs> 